Hey guys, this is Ahmed from See Something, Say Something. We're here with a short little piece about Michigan and the some Muslim voters there. Um, I'm actually from Michigan, and uh, you know I had this suspicion that it was going to go red. And I know it's a very working class state, and I know it's a very segregated state. So the race politics in Michigan and the class politics are complicated. And if you can tap into those things, which Trump has somehow successfully done, uh, there's definitely a voter base that will come out. I had this prediction, like, I don't know what's going to happen with the rest of America, but I did feel like my home state was going to go for Trump. Um, and I was disappointed, but not totally surprised that it did so, uh, because it didn't seem like the Democrats were meaningfully able to really tap into sort of working class issues and the issues of race and immigration and jobs leaving Michigan that are so, uh, so key to... Michigan's identity and of course you know there's a big Muslim population there too but it doesn't look like they were able to really turn that around if you see something you better you better say something nothing at all nothing at all I'm joined by Dalal Ansari, who is reporting in from Michigan, he went to go talk to some Michigan uh, Muslim voters. Um, and I'm going to talk to him about uh, his piece that he just wrote, um, which is called Muslim Americans Fearful That Islamophobia is a Winning Message. Hey, Dalal. Hey, how's it going? I mean, you know, Trump victory, definitely different than we expected, not what people predicted. Well, tell us where you're at, Dalal. Where are you currently? So right now I'm in Dearborn, Michigan. Um, I came over here because Dearborn is known for many things, but one of the things it's known for is having a high Arab American population. So <clears throat> there's not many places like that around the country. And so it's kind of hard to find a concentrated Muslim population where you can talk to a lot of people. So uh, I came here to see how they were dealing with the elections. You also went to Hamtramck and I actually lived in Hamtramck. <laughs> For a little bit. Hamtramck is this like little enclave city. It is actually a city, but it it's within um, on all sides besides one within Detroit. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about Hamtramck, what kind of city it is? It's very small, uh, comparatively speaking to many Detroit suburbs. Right. So I, in the morning, I spent time in Dearborn going to polling places. I shifted over to Hamtramck. And yeah, it's like this. It's this small community has like two really major streets where everything is located on and it's an interesting mixture of Polish Americans and Muslim Americans mainly I believe from like Yemen and Bangladesh and um, I went there to see how they were doing with the vote and it was just really interesting I went to a, a restaurant recommendation that you had uh, Sheba uh, had some good Yemeni food and on the wall of Sheba is this giant mural of um, a, a woman in hijab and, an, and another woman. And like literally across the street is like this bald eagle that's kind of angry on the side of a building. And it was just such an interesting juxtaposition and it kind of spoke to like what Hamtramck is in a way, I guess. Yeah, both very interesting cities. I mean, I think we often turn to them as the Muslim vote. But of course, wh I think what's interesting about them is not that they represent the Muslim vote as a whole, because there's Muslims in every major city of so many different backgrounds, but that they have that Muslim majority. 
So and uh, most like a very, a very in very visibly Muslim populations. So um, why don't you talk to me about uh, what the sort of perspectives were when you got there? What were people on the ground thinking? I mean, one one thing that struck me was that because there's a large Arab American population, there were local um, elections going on as well for a, for a spot uh, for a judge. There was a spot, a house seat. Um, and apparently, from what I heard, it was the judge position in particular. It was a very contested election um, with Arab Americans kind of divided on who they should vote for. Uh, at some points, it got ugly. But um, generally speaking, I saw that people were fairly happy throughout the day. There were no no issues whatsoever at any of the polling locations. And there were that was a fear for you, right? That I think there had been a lot of talk that there might be some voter intimidation. You didn't see any of that. No, no, not at all. I mean, I I, I didn't hear of anything planned from like a militia or something <laughs> like that. Um, but no, no voter intimidation. I had heard, and this is not substantiated, but someone complained thinking that uh, someone who was working at an Arabic translator was uh, encouraging someone to vote for Clinton, but that was never confirmed. I heard that uh, there weren't enough Arabic translators at one polling location. But other than that, nothing nothing major or eventful during the day. Would you say there was a significant like organizing presence by Arab American and Muslim uh, organizations in Dearborn to get out the vote? Oh, very much so. I went in the morning to access the group. It's a nonpartisan, nonprofit group. They help um, members of all faiths with uh, issues, but particularly Arab Americans uh, with immigration, with, with social services. And they were phone banking very hard in the morning, telling people to go out and get the vote. They weren't siding with any candidate. Hi, my name is Mona Abdullah Hajazi. I'm a volunteer and I also work here at Access. And today it's very important that everybody goes out and votes because every vote counts. Our voice is the change that we need. And they had 25 volunteers at 22 different polling sites to make sure there wasn't anything fishy happening. Um, they were very engaged. Everywhere I went, um, it was quite a strong community effort to get out the Arab American vote, that's for sure. So let's let's talk about as the results were coming in, when it looked like, you know, I think there was a big expectation that Clinton would win. As the results started started turning, we're seeing that he took many states in the Midwest, and he took Ohio, and then he a big linchpin was Michigan. What was the feeling in the room as those results started coming in? What were the kind of sentiments you were hearing from the like different Arab American and Muslims in the room? Well, first of all, I think I hope listeners like facts and context. But um, Michigan has not gone red since 1988, I believe, and that's when George. H.W. Bush uh, was elected. So no one, I don't think, really expected Trump to win here, even though they were visiting Michigan a lot in the final days. I believe Pence was here, Trump was here, his kids were here. It's pay paying a lot of attention to the state, and I guess it paid off. But early on, I was at the Arab American Museum, and they were having a watch party. And I got there right at 8 when it started, and the place was already three-fourths full. Like, people were there kind of pumped, eating, talking, it was loud. Um, and no one looked worried, like no one was even remotely concerned from what I gathered and the people I talked to. It wasn't until around 10.30 um, local time when I think Florida, they showed how close Florida was that 
you know, the noise level in the room got cut in half probably. And from then on, you know, state, other states just kept falling. And um, I wouldn't say people were palpably scared or, or, or afraid, but um, I think a lot of people were just in, sort of in disbelief. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think anybody predicted that at all. There were, and you, you really didn't encounter anyone who predicted that uh, outcome. No, no, no one told me, like, I'm really afraid that Trump's going to win. That didn't even come up whatsoever. Yeah. In the state or the general election. You've already told me that there is some level of organization, like with access and, um, you know, at the Arab American National Museum. So is was there a sense that this was a failure of organizing? Uh, you know, we just had an episode where we talked about how difficult it is for Muslims to sort of counteract the narratives around um, Islamophobia that are so prevalent right now. Did it feel like a failure of organizing for people? I, I don't think so. I, and I think that's because, first of all, it was mainly led by a bunch of youthful, exuberant kids, which I am no longer probably a part of their demographic. But they, <laughs> I, I really think they were successful in, in their voter drives, in all the points they needed to hit. I think they hit. Um, a, another group called the U.S. Council on Muslim Organizations, they held a, a voter drive, and it's an umbrella group of about two dozen Muslim advocacy organizations, and it was called One Million Voters, and they said they had surpassed that target um, since uh, compared to numbers from the last election. So everyone felt like they did what they needed to do um, and that they can build on this and they just have to continue working at it. But I think one of the most telling points was I talked to people today and this was also mentioned by someone who spoke at the end of the election watch party uh, a professor by the name of uh, Khalid Beydoun I believe and he, he pretty much said that at the end of the day we need to stop like referring to ourselves just as Arab Americans just as Muslim Americans we need to see ourselves as part of a larger sort of group uh, and we need to connect with uh, black voters in, in the black struggle, or we need to connect with Latinos and anyone else who is being marginalized in some way. And we need to coalesce as a group to, uh, you know, to actually change how certain states vote. That's what he, he was saying. And to a degree, he's right. Uh, most estimates say that Muslim Americans account for 1% to 2% of the U.S. population. The percentage of those that are actually citizens is probably half. Um, so therefore, it's hard for Muslim Americans to make a impactful difference. I mean, it was argued. We don't have to talk about this specifically because I know this was what you were reporting on. But it was argued. It has been argued by many people that actually the Muslim vote swung a little bit for George W. Bush in the first election because he spoke out against like a little bit more strongly against the um like secret evidence and other issues that now seem light years away in 2000. Um, so I, I think it's, I mean, I, it's interesting that it's, there's this sense that maybe we, that Muslims won't, wouldn't have an effect on the election. Yeah. Muslims by and large used to be like Republican voters for sure. I grew up thinking that Muslims and Republicans were like somewhat synonymous. I, did you have that experience? 
Uh, yeah, I totally. I mean, there was a mix, but certainly in 2000, the um, it was a really popular idea that the Republicans were better for Muslims than the Democrats because, I mean, like a huge portion of the community is Pakistani. I mean, it's one of the most populous Muslim countries in the world. Um, and there's this idea that Democrats are more friendly with the Indians and right. um, Republicans are more friendly with Pakistanis, which does have some historical evidence, but it's an interesting thing to base your political platform on and I think it's really was challenged in the years after uh, 2000 you know like 9-11 um, you know but yeah yeah I mean that's just only the Pakistanis of course like I'm only speaking about one community which I'm from um, so um, let's talk also a little bit about some of the wins that came out of uh, Dearborn and uh, Michigan you let's spoke to a gentleman abdullah hamoud is that correct yeah that's how i would say it. yeah he was running for the house of reps let's listen to your interview with him real quick this election in 2016 it is really important for muslim americans and really all communities of color all minority groups to come out and to vote to participate because we see at the national level on one side of the ballot we have a candidate that has been spewing hatred that has monetized bigotry and racism um, and that is pushing forth misogyny and xenophobia and on the other side of the ballot we have a platform, a candidate uh, with the Democratic Party that is trying to be as inclusive as possible that is reaching out to individuals and trying to run a campaign that is diverse and collective as the American people are and so I think more than ever the Muslim Americans need to come out and need to voice uh, their concerns, voice their stand so that our voice that is no longer silent when we vote candidates will hear uh, what we have to say they will care for our issues which are the same issues as other americans but that can only be done if we come out and vote if we stand silent we cannot complain on november 9th when the results do not reflect what we want uh, wanted to happen so that's why we need to come out and vote and be pro so he actually won is that correct though did you talk to him before his victory though right yeah i talked to him in the morning when he was hitting up polling locations uh, legally outside the areas where you can uh, campaign. And he did win. I saw him later. He showed up at the watch party. The whole crowd cheered about that. It was one of the more uplifting parts of the later segment of the night. And he's a 26-year-old Dearborn-born uh, Muslim American of Lebanese descent. And uh, he is now a Muslim member of the House in Michigan. And he, oddly enough, he was up against a Republican candidate who is a wrestler. I've never heard of him, but he's a WWE wrestler. Oh my God, what's the wrestler's name? I need to know. T Terrence Rhino Guido Guerin? I know Rhino. <laughs> that is really, yeah. Um, pretty amazing that he won, but he's not actually the first... Muslim or Arab in Congress. I mean, right now we st that's you're talking about the United States House of Representatives or the Michigan House. Michigan House. Okay, but there's also you know Muslims like uh, Keith Ellison and Andre Carson um, in the House. So there were some victories, of course. Yeah, and, and Michigan has a, a small history of having uh, Muslim state legislator representatives. I think Rashida. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce her last name. Rashida. Talib. Um, I believe she was also a state house person for about four to five years. Yeah, well, um, thanks so much for letting us 
uh, in like a, getting a, a ground view at some of the Muslim voters. I mean, I think it's clear that Michigan is a really important state in the elections and made a huge difference. Um, and the Muslim vote is uh, something that is changing and complicated and uh Apparently, I mean, it's interesting in this case that it didn't have that effect that it f- people argued it had in the 2000 election. Um, any final thoughts, Thalal? No, but I do want to say, and it might get muddied in all the reporting that's coming about about Muslims' reactions to the vote, including even my own articles. You might just get the sense that everyone is dismayed, but a lot of people are excited about the progress they made, about the coalition building that they had, and they actually think they've made meaningful progress towards making a powerful Muslim voting block, even though uh, the desired result wasn't there. Yeah, I mean, certainly, I think Muslims were more visible in this election than they've ever been before. And it would be important for there to be a commensurate like voting uh, block and a, a political strategy around that. Um, and, uh, that's, you know, that's interesting. It's only going to probably get it become more important, especially with the Trump presidency. Very true. Thanks for being on the show at the law. It was really good to have you. Thanks so much. Glad to be here. See you in New York. See you, buddy. If you want to read Dalal's full piece on Muslim Americans voting in Michigan, you can go to his page on BuzzFeed, buzzfeed.com slash Dalal Ansari. That's T-A-L-A-L-A-N-S-A-R-I. And we'll also include a link in the description of this episode. This episode was produced by Eleanor Kagan and Chiquita Pascal. Uh, you can follow me at Rad Brown Dads. And thanks for listening.